And there we go. There we have it. 2022 has finished. As we end the year and move on to 2023, there's only one way I believe we can celebrate the fantastic year which has just been, which has been consistent with inconsistent upload schedules from this podcast and consistent with our mild hatred of, of Classic Who. And as to celebrate it, we need to continue this trend of having an upload procession on time. So we're not following that trend, but we're going to have a meh episode of Who anyway. So James, what episode are we reviewing today? Uh, it's the abominable snowman and has a word describing a thing, which is an adjective. Now I think about it. Has an adjective ever been more apt uh, to, descri- <laughs> to describe a story? Uh, Happy New Year, listeners. It's Into the Black Archive here. James Hero in there. And a discussion is to be had about one of the very recently animated episodes which owen you may recall we missed out when we were doing troughton a little while ago yes we also missed out when it got released due to um uh online store which will remain unnamed um saying which i had pre-ordered it but then never delivering it because they never had it in stock i waited for an entire month before i had to order it from a different unnamed (laughs) online store so we're doing it as a special now because why the fuck not, quite frankly. The result is it's winter themed and we can get away with doing it as a special. We are backfilling some of the gaps. Um, yes. Which, considering how many lost episodes there are in the Heart of the era slash all the animations they will inevitably do, I sense we'll be doing a lot. This won't be the first time we have to go well, back and do this. You, you say that. This is the last animation of a bunch. We've got no more on for Horizon, no more scheduled. So this no more scheduled. Yeah, last... but you would think in a few years. You see, the thing is, BBC America was funding these ones. Oh, yeah, and BBC America have, have now been replaced by a certain other big American company. By an even bigger American conglomerate, yes. So <laughs> it depends on whether Disney Plus wants to do animations. Um, but until we know that... We've got no more. So this is potentially, James, for the last time we're watching Animated Who. Yeah, that's a, that's a point, actually, because where we are at, if you don't listen to us regularly, we're in the John Pertwee era at the moment, getting at least through the middle towards the end of that now. And we know there are no more lost episodes beyond that, apart from, obviously, the black and white copies in the Pertwee that uh, they coloured up. Actually, there is going to be one more which we're going to have to watch, which is Animated. Is that Invasion of the Dinosaurs at one? No. Shada. because it was never completed to to industrial action so they finished it off later on with animation so that will actually be potentially for the next one we watch that will be the last one which which yeah which will be will be with the fourth doctor by then although although actually if we if we're getting really loose would we have to do um time crash no not time crash the infinite quest that's the one they did at that time which was animated and then they also did dreamland which was animated in the tenant era, I know they're not episodes, I, but no, like they're, they're not things. Epi- they're not episodes. I didn't think we'd cover them. I thought they were worth mentioning, just in case yeah, we wanted but, to do really rogue. But but they're not recreations. No, they they're, are they're, original yeah. stories made for animation. Because at that point, we're getting into doing Scream of the Shalker with Richard E. Grant, aren't we? Yes, and that which we shouldn't do. <laughs> bizarre EastEnders crossover, which we will never discuss and never talk about. It's like the Star Wars holiday special of Doctor Who that. Mm. but yeah so was this a good 
ignoring the story. <laughs> was was it a good animation? I just I love the precursor ignoring the story. Yeah, so, because because I know how this discussion will go. I'll go to you, how was the animation, and you'll go, well, the story was shit. I'm just like, let's just true. let's just cut that it, out and go. Excluding the story, how was the animation? I think the animation holds up pretty well. I didn't feel like I was. I think with some of the animations we've watched for this, they become so low res and not dynamic enough that you lose engagement and you lose interest with the thing. And this isn't one of those. I thought. I think it's animated to a pretty good standard. It's one of those where you don't even really notice it in a way, which I think is a compliment. Yeah. Because it just feels like you're watching an episode. It doesn't... You never really register you're watching an animation half the time. You just think, okay, we're watching this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did, you, what did you think? Did you think there was anything wrong? Anything really good? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. It's done by the same animation team which did um, Galaxy 4. And I think yeah, we can which see... is another one. I think we can see the perfection of their style because I remember in Ga- Galaxy 4, when we watched Galaxy 4 together, the backgrounds were too detailed compared to the foreground characters. Whereas here they've managed to reach the sort of like equilibrium where the backgrounds are still very detailed, but not in a way which is so harsh in relation to the foreground characters. I think as well, and this is another criticism I've had with some of the animations, is that because they've been made today, there's obviously a temptation to make it look as good as possible. Unfortunately, making it look as good as possible requires to evoke like modern camera shots, which they would have never done. Yeah. And so I like that they resisted the urge to do really ridiculous modern shots and they kept it relatively static because that's what the episode would have been like. I'm definitely more interested in it being authentic than it being the best stylistically if it doesn't make sense for the Mm -hmm. show. And also just so for listeners know, because we can either watch it in colour or in black and white. Me and James initially watched it in black and white. I then, to rewatch it, because there's a bit of gap between us watching it, Initially watching it, I've rewatched it in color as well. Yes. What's how is it in in color then? It's all is right. It weird watching it in color. No, it's all right. It's like watch it. It's got for still got the look of like a sort of like a two thousands kids cartoon, and <laughs> having having color doesn't change that effect. It only enhances it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I have to be honest with you, the only reason why I watched the colour one was because the black and white one is still in for Blu-ray player of Blu-ray player's unplugged and I can't bother to plug it in. <laughs> so the colour one was 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 decided upon out yes. of convenience. Yes, because I'm lazy. At least it means you can say something cool about comparing. That's always a nice point to bring up on these. Yes. That that's what I like to do. And when James was here for Christmas, because you know we're all about gift giving here, I gave James a gift so he can watch how um Marfons we've just watched which will be released later on in this year day of the daleks because of all their differences james have you watched your present yet i've not watched my present yet no uh it's about <sighs> finding the time but i'm sure that i'm sure that there will be a time in these winter months where i'll be by the fireplace and think all i want to do is look out for the small differences in the original day of the daleks 
You mean to say you don't want to open them up on a dual screen setup and watch in detail the differences? It's something I'm considering, but I haven't made a full decision on yet. Ah, <laughs> oh. but anyway, and I found an episode we haven't even released yet. Um, yes, let's talk about the episode we did watch. <laughs> this episode deeply annoys me because I feel like there is a good episode underneath the surface, but it is struck by the six-part curse so hard. The the proof of this is simply that the Abominable Snowman is really the forebear to the Web of Fear, which we both agree is the best episode out of season five, which is these season is, well, this episode is from that season. Yeah. So we know that this particular enemy can be done in a very good story. Yeah. Have, have we come across a rare situation where the sequel is better than the original episode? It is a rare situation, isn't it? And, not only the sequel is better, the sequel is far better. Mm. You watch Abominable Snowman and you think, did this deserve a sequel? Because it doesn't really. <laughs> but no. it got one that happened to be really good. It, And I say, it is just the stereotypical six part. It's way too stretched out. There's too many gaps between things happening. Like I can remember when we were watching the first episode together, and we were just kind of sat there going, did anything actually happen in that half an hour? And I, I think mean, we decided is, not really much. That's not very exclusive even to this episode. I mean, how many six parts have we watched together where after even two episodes, three episodes, we're still saying, mm. when is the plot going to start? Yeah. And I feel like this one has suffered by it so hard because it's got all the elements of a good story. You've got mystery, you've got intrigue. Like there's, a, they they keep it all very mysterious, very well. But the issue is, it just takes forever. I think the thing that's most frustrating is when you think this is a six-part episode, how incredibly basic the plot is. Mm. I mean, we, there is a lot of mystery built up. But in the grand scheme of things, we already know what's going on by episode one. You you already know how it's going to end. You know what the logical I, conclusion of the story is. I disagree based on rewatching it recently. Literally nothing happens in the first episode which can really make you work out what's going on. I, I just find that not, nothing happens that really makes you second guess yourself. And when you've got two and a half hours I disagree of runtime because to we, we straight up while watching this had a debate about a particular element. Did we? Yes. When Victoria... So there's a scene in it when Victoria drinks from a poisoned chalice. Well, was it poison? Was it not? Oh, yeah. And, no, and, I am remembering the scene and, now. And we... And there's a... And there's a bit where she drinks it, she faints and instantly pops up again, runs out of a room, pretty much. And we were both mm. sat there going, is this bit here her trying to scheme herself out of a situation or is it her being like hypnotized and controlled off by the great intelligence? To this point, I still don't really know. But is that to say that it was what it was cleverly done to make you second guess or is it that it's shoddily done that you can't work out which and they were trying to be clear? Because I suppose I it could be one of one or the other. Yeah. And but to say which there's no point where you weren't hundred percent sure what was going on, I think it's slightly 
wrong. Yeah, maybe not point by point, but like in the overarching sense, I think the the logical conclusion is the one you think of quickly, and I, and I don't feel like it ever really deviates from that. And and I, as a result of that, I found every other thing in the plot just kind of distracting, and there wasn't enough of it. I think the problem, thing we need to remember as well, though, is this is before anyone knew what the great intelligent was. And I think watching okay, it yeah, that, the, the great wait, intelligence. What, I think I'm thinking watch, more in terms of the Abbot. Yeah, is where I think it's really predictable. Yeah, but that isn't the main bad guy. The main bad guy is yeah, the, mag- the, yeah, the is, great is the master of the great intelligence. And I think that element of the story is done very well. If you're watching it through the mind of a viewer who's never heard of the great intelligence before, because we're doing that's true, which is difficult complete, to do. We we're doing this in completely the wrong order because we've watched for we've watched the um, Web of Fear. We've watched Web of Fear, but not just Web of Fear. We've also watched for New Who, where they bring back the great intelligence. Yeah, when we have so, the Snowmen and the Bells of St John. So it's and that bizarre Wi-Fi one. Um, yeah, I think that is the Bells of St John. I don't know. That's the one where Clara's introduced, like, as Clara, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know. that's Bells of St. John. I don't yeah. know. Um, I didn't know it was what for Bizarre Wi-Fi one. <laughs> <laughs> the one where they ride up the shard on a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think once we mentally block out our already got knowledge of it, of sort of how this is going to go, I reckon it's quite a good story. It's just too, there's too much filler gap. And it also suffers to some extent from the um, Power of Daleks, Power of the Daleks problem as well, where we're being set up to believe which this is a big, bustling monastery. Yeah. But we only that's, see that's five people. Uh, it sort of gets better towards them because more people just sort of appear. But I feel yeah, which like, I'm fine with. But I feel like it even does itself a disservice. But because it starts for Doctor, we get introduced to this monastery by the Doctor entering into it, going, "Hello, hello, where is anyone?" I think just simply by that, they've instantly made it seem like nothing's going on. I feel like hmm. if they walk, had him walked in, getting lost, and sort of like in a bustle of people. Even that simple thing would make it feel like more is actually happening. Yeah, it's it's so that you have that as a reference whenever you do have to use the set and you're in there with one or two characters. You know that outside something is probably happening because you've had that happen once. Yeah. You're, you're establishing a frame of reference for everything that's going on in your setting. I mean, that's always been a problem in Classic Who is, I mean, how many episodes are there? You, you probably need more than one hand to count all the ones they've tried to set up a bustling world mm. that only features five people in three sets. Yeah, and I, f- and I feel like this one here suffers from that problem quite badly. And I feel yeah, like because this- when you need filler, they haven't got options. This, this episode suffers from all of the stereotypical Doctor Who problems of this time. It doesn't have enough people around to make it feel like a bustling city. It's a six-part story, which is too long. There's not enough going on, and it's also just a. It's just also just a base on the sea story again, which is basically Troughton. Yeah, 
but at least it's like with with robots this time. Yeah. He says, as if the Cybermen aren't basically robots, and we had two of those. Big cuddly robots. Virtually in a row. Shall we Shall we talk characters then? Because we are revisiting some people that we haven't seen in a little bit. Yes. Namely, my least favourite companion of Doctor Who, Victoria Waterfield. I was thinking about this while re-watching it. I do think this is one of her strongest episodes. Yeah, I, I don't think that says much, but I do agree with you. Because she actively tries to work out what is going on with um, the person who runs the entire monastery because she thinks something's a bit up, so she's using her initiative to try and find out what's going mm. on. She's actively playing a role in the story. Yes, she's sh- screaming here and there, but it's things which I feel like you're allowed to get away with it because it's things you would scream at, like... Like we've got the big fluffy um, yeti sort of like waking up. Of course, someone's going to scream at that yeah, point. Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, and when a yeti's coming into an enclosed area where you're stuck, you're going to scream. I feel like we can get she gets away with it in this episode a lot more than she does in other times. And I also feel like she plays a part in the story, which some, a lot of times she doesn't. You can definitely tell in the earlier phases. I mean, this isn't the first. So this isn't her first episode. But she is more active in this than Tomb of the Cybermen, I think. It's it's like they did think of something for her to do. And she does play a role in the story. She kind of pushes that mystery along, particularly along the, um, well, who's really in charge here line, which is the big mystery of the thing. Yeah, and I feel like it's definitely, yeah, she does get captured and she does get hypnotized. But also kind of feel like it's it plays the role it needs to. I, I think so as well. I think what's nice is that Troughton is really putting out fires in this episode, more mo- mostly, and as a result, actually, Victoria gets to do the sort of big picture thinking. There was one part of it which, on second rewatch, I didn't like. Which is that? Um, is that part? So it's when Vietti is lying down, they're trying to work out what the hole is in the chest, what's the control mm. unit, and Victoria goes. Well, the hole is circular. What Jamie found was circular. Could that be the control unit? And the doctor just shuts her down and goes, no, 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 no. It was far too light, far too light. I've already thought of that. It was far too light. Oh, but wait one minute. Let's try it anyway. I'm just saying, just let her have that. Mm. Just let her have that of, good point, Victoria. Or going, good. yeah, like a bit of acknowledgement. Yeah, but it went straight into shutting it down. I had this idea already; it did, wouldn't work, and particularly when it turns out it would work. See, Troughton's always been that aloof doctor. He's always been the aloof doctor who's not ever really wanted to give credit to others when he has a funny idea. I mean, he barely even tells you what his plans are. But I feel like it was just the instant shutting down of the idea, which then turned out to be correct as well. It comes across poorly mm. for sure and and the thing is is that Troughton's aloof but it's not like first season Hartnell where he was deliberately confrontative yeah and spiky mm. Troughton's just kind of a little off center and you never quite know what he's thinking not shutting people down all the time so it's a little bit out of character yeah 
Yeah. What about what about Jamie? Because if if Victoria had a good episode, what does Jamie do? I think Jamie also has a good episode. I think this is the point when we've got peak Doctor Jamie humor. Before yeah, they're it's, still funny. That's the important thing. Before it starts to get irritating. I think we're at that episode now. I think this was the last episode where they were funny together. Mm. <laughs> uh, that it really me. did get stale from but, sort of towards the end of season five, up starting to, and then by season six, it was dead. Do you think that's because we've had such a big gap between watching Trout and Jamie together, which we're finding this one funny, or do you think this was literally just for that one where it was funny? I think I think there are definitely one or two really good bits that I think if they'd have turned up in like one of the best season four episodes we would have liked. I'm not saying it's the funniest they've ever been. I, you know, if you, if you go back and watch episode one of the faceless ones, which is, is basically just those two messing around. Mm. Yeah, that's the best they've ever been as a double act. It's not that good, but it's good enough where you don't feel like you're not enjoying it. I think, I think that's the main thing. By the time you get to those season six episodes, it really does feel like they've lost the purpose of Jamie being there. Yeah. It does kind of start here because, I mean, now we've watched season five, we kind of know that Jamie's real role in the season was to be a love interest for Victoria. And they were trying to build that up. And that felt like it was just took so much out of that character to make him fit I, a box they wanted him to. That is also which I've watching in retrospect, but while well, watching this episode was Victoria and James' relationship. I feel like this was peak for their relationship because here in this episode, it feels like it's a brother sisterly relationship. Yes. Rather than a bizarre love interest relationship. Yeah, it starts to turn, I think, after this, really. Yeah, because this was sort of like how it should have been, I reckon. Like he's Cause still. Because by, by Fury from the Deep, it's incessant. It is. Here it is straight up. Older brother looking after younger sister. Where it, where's Victoria? What's happened to Victoria? Yeah, and, that's it fine. Fe- and it felt like the right level before it starts going off into the odd route. <laughs> that description, the odd route. Mm. The darn romance. Not in my 1960s sci-fi. The second Doctor. Yes. Is it, not, is it nice to see him back? Because this is one of the few times we are actually getting to go from one Doctor to another and maybe compare them with hindsight. Yes, but I don't think this is his best episode. I, I, I agree with that as well. Although we do get some flute action. Yeah, he always feels like he's on the back foot. In terms of the story? Yeah. I almost feel like everyone else does more than the Doctor. Yeah, weirdly. I mean, I don't mind that, to be honest. No. There's always this worry I've had. I think one of the main flaws with the Pertwee era is that the Doctor is starting to get too smart. And that's one of the big issues I get with Doctor Who sometimes is is Mm. forgetting that your hero should be a bit vulnerable. Yeah. So I've always liked... I think that the episodes I most like of Trouton are the ones where he's vulnerable. Mm. The ones where he sort of messes up. Like like the web of fear, where he's actively like that did not work. Even the power of the power of the Daleks, that you know, that first episode, we don't even really know whether what he's done's worked. Mm. I've always liked when Troughton's been on the back foot but, to an extent, but I agree that in this episode he's a bit more passive than he should be. Yeah, it's not even that he's on the back foot as in we don't know if he's making mistakes or not. He 
oddly seems to spend most of this episode trapped. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's weird. I mean, Victoria actually almost carries the action. Yeah. Like, at it, times, which is bizarre when you look at the other episodes in this season. Yeah, it. I am happy to be back with Troughton. Don't get me wrong. But equally, I don't feel like this is his best episode. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we haven't really had the chance to sort of rank Doctors on this podcast. Where are you with the, with the first three? Because I think we've seen definitely enough of the first three now to start making that shout. I strangely think it goes reverse to their numbers. So third is so three, first, two, one. Trouton is second, Hartner was third. Because I'm, the issue is, is that both second, first and second, after first season or two, we got they started to grate us. Like if we were solely yeah. looking at it first episode of each Doctor, it might be different. But we've got to look at it as the entire story. I suppose. I think the one difference that goes against Pertwee with that argument is simply that there were less episodes per season. So you sort of had more time for the ideas to fall away. But even then, we're now, we've watched, we haven't released episodes. That's why it's very hard to say. Yeah, much I here. agree. Um, I feel like we've had enough time now with Pertwee to notice, which while he isn't moving in some of the later episodes, he's also not grating. No, he's definitely not grating. I mean, with, with John Pertwee, you have a very funny, a very funny doctor. I think it just depends what you want. Because if I was ranking, I'd probably actually put Trout in the head. That's only because I quite like that I never know where he where his head's at, and so he's always interesting to watch. Pertwee, I think, is funny to watch, and I think I enjoy spending time with him, but I'm less challenged. Yeah. Interesting. But, but you know, I think that goes both ways. It just depends what you personally want. Who's your favourite overall Doctor? Go. Well, of all of them? Yes. Uh, tenth Doctor, still. Hmm. I think I know it's a lot of it's nostalgia talking with, with Tenant. Like, well, Tenant won now. Yes. But... I think the thing the thing that's always made me say he is the best is because Davies wrote him so that he was one second away from essentially turning into Rassilon. <laughs> and if I'm talking about a doctor challenging me, I never quite knew what he would do. Yeah. It's yeah, he was always an interesting watch. You'd quite like the some for later um eighth doctor stuff then. Oh, does he because... does he get a bit dicey with the dark? Very. I'll show you. I'll show you some stuff later after we okay, finish recording. Okay. After we finish recording. Yeah. Does that? I mean, what's yours then? I wonder if because you do this is one of those eighth Doctor audio episodes that McGann is right up there for you. Yeah, I love McGann. Mm. I so listeners know where I am in the um, eighth Doctor storyline. Um, I have just finished. I've done all of his stuff with Lucy Miller. We've had Lucy Miller's departure. And on to 
the third Dark Eyes box set. Um, he it's very dark, and I'm quite enjoying it. I quite enjoy him generally. Cool. So, so is it genuinely began at the top then for you? Pretty probably, yeah. Wow. It says a lot about the quality of the audio. I do wish we had more fun, McGann, though, because it's getting very, very dark and it's getting quite constant. <laughs> like, I, I've, I've paid you rather for Paul McGann's episode where it's essentially just a parody of Top Gear. I want more parodies yes. of Top Gear. Not not genuinely dark stories. No, no I need some cheery, um, like, Max Warp, I think it's called. Yeah, Max Warp, that is it. Um, but anyway, this episode. Yes, back to this episode. Been over characters. I suppose if you're thinking of side characters, there's really only one name that is particularly memorable, and that is Professor Travers. And that's only because he comes up again in The Web of Fear. Do you I'm enjoy not... seeing a young Travers on screen? He doesn't do much. He gets caught, He gets in the cave, doesn't he? His big thing yeah. is he goes to the cave. He he kind of comes off as unhinged. Yeah, he away. does actually. He seems a very erratic character. Because his logic seems to be which a journalist has killed off his companion so that they can see the Yeti first. Mm. That, yeah, that is the thing, isn't it? Because he gets the Doctor essentially captured and threatened with execution and he gets nearly hung. And it just feels like he... For those first few episodes, he doesn't seem sane. It, it later rectifies itself, and he becomes quite a good ally. But he seems to either be going mildly mad or not doing anything. To be fair, I don't mind that characterization because if you've been looking for Yeti in the Himalayas for however long, oh, I, I don't, I don't mind. You get don't mad. Mind, I, yeah, I I don't necessarily mind it. I just feel like he's either going insane or he's very passive. Not the doing only anything. thing he really does story wise is go up to the cave and he figures out that the stuff is going on in the cave. And that is about it for that character. Beyond that, it's mainly his arc from absolute madman to quite helpful man. And then we obviously will meet him later on in an old version and whatever fit. I think the most interesting about him is fact about him is that the actor who plays Travers in both episodes is actually Victoria's dad. The actress's Yeah, the actress's dad, because it's Jack Watling who plays Travers and Deborah Watling plays Victoria. So a fun bit of family casting. Yes. And it's not and, quite up there with the Moffat stuff, but... No, and also just since James didn't realise this as well, Travis now is the same Travis who plays Travis in Weber Fear, just aged up. I like how you've called him Travis that whole way through. So let's leave the characters one side. I feel like we've largely discussed a lot of the story anyway. Is there any particular points you want to us to stumble on into? I think the only... The only real element that works in the story before I before I get into just trash talk, which I don't even think we need, is and I'm gonna pronounce this right, which means I need to read it. Uh the Padma Sambavar great intelligence subplot seems to be the best thing about this episode. Mm-hmm. That's what's creating the intrigue. Yeah. 
I, I actually think the whole great intelligence thing is pretty well handled the whole way through. Because you have the abbot who... His whole shtick is that he speaks to the master and therefore conveys his thoughts. And you see him, you know, people have every reason to believe it because at certain points he just kind of stops and starts taking messages in his head. Yeah, he... Yeah, and I think it's worth saying as well, which there is a sort of like dual personality thing going on with uh, between the great intelligence and the actual guy. Because we, yeah, the- we, we see a sort of like... I wouldn't quite say peace loving, but we see sort of like a relatively passive friend of a doctor who kind of whispers into his ears like this. Mm. And then we go straight into you are going to do this now kind of guy. And which brings about an interesting process because we've got two characters in one. I think it's one of the main areas as well. The animation diverts from what actually happened on screen because on screen it was he was an old man in like old age makeup to make him look even older mm. but in the animation we can't get this disfigured and i kind of feel like that works better for the character. yeah i mean it, it is you're taking a stylistic choice there but it does work for, for the story it does add to the way that character comes across i admire the fact that the great intelligence is portrayed not as a character, but more as a big thing. That's and it's able to possess because Pama Samovar is hundreds of years old. Yeah, he's been kept. But the alive. body has been taken over as a vessel. Yeah, he 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 has been essentially being kept alive as a slave to the great intelligence. There's also a, a really good story point in which the um, the Doctor had been there 400 years prior and had actually met Padma Sabavar when he was a young man mm. at that time. And he'd been given like a goblet for safekeeping. Bell. There's a bell, not a mm. goblet. Yeah, it kind of looked like a goblet, but maybe that's my Harry Potter brain on. And that's a nice touch. It That gives wider context to the story in a nice way. That, that gives a nice little bit of world building. Like when the great intelligence is forced out of Pama Samovar's body and he has those few seconds before the 400-year-old body decomposes into dust, it's a genuinely nice moment mm. where there, he recognises an old friend. Yeah. But once you get beyond that story element, it just gets very predictable and very stodgy. It feels like watching this episode is like wading your way through treacle. Yeah. Very slow, very for, ponderous. I feel like the biggest issue for this story is its pace. It is. It could easily be a four-parter and be an actual decent story. And not have many parts removed. Yeah, it is stretched within an inch of its life to six. And the result is near enough full episodes where there is no plot development. It's just scenes happen in an order and maybe like bits on the chessboard have been moved a bit, but there's no real thing that happens. Yeah. It is the six part curse. I think the problem is just that because of the budgetary restraints on who at this time, you can't plan enough set pieces for six parts. Mm -hmm. And the result is there aren't, there are some episodes that just don't have a big thing. It doesn't have to be 
the world's biggest thing, but it has to be something that drives your story on. And, and, and a set piece is a good way to do that. There's just no option. Yeah. And so you get scene after scene after scene after scene where things don't develop and you lose engagement. Shall we move on to the ending? I mean, I think we can move straight on to the ending. Uh, I think it's a reasonable ending. I think it's the biggest disappointment for the entire episode. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. It's terrible. Go on then. We're built up to believe which the great intelligence is like for for most in it's literally its fucking name for great intelligence <laughs> is really smart really powerful this is it, going to be really hard to end the story in a really good way so we don't even fucking try we literally just go we hit a bit of electronics go oh no that's not working oh no it's for globe that's hit for globe done yeah and then it'll end like it Pacing-wise and payoff-wise, it works, I think. But when you put Yeah, I think con- the payoff is all right, but, but it you- is a very convenient ending. But when you put it in for context about how this is supposed to end, and even looking ahead into what um, for Web of Fear ends like, where it's like a big fight of wills between the Great Intelligence and the Doctor, mm. it's just a bit of a letdown. When you compare it to the Web of Fear, yeah, definitely. But again, that's the question of we watched it in the wrong order. We wouldn't have seen it if this was first. And I also feel like you're hyping up your bad guy so much, and the ending is that simple. That's yeah, that's a problem. Mm. That is a problem, and I think that's been an issue with the Great Intelligence throughout when they've used it. Mm. Is you can't use a thing like the Great Intelligence and then have him do stupid things. You know, you are writing yourself into a corner. You have to be clever with that character. It wasn't even that he did stupid things. He just didn't do anything to fight against it, it feels like. Yeah, and the result was a very straightforward ending. I say reason in the sense that it ties everything in a bow, but it, does... it is underwhelming in yeah. respect to the villain you've got. That's my one complaint about the ending. I feel like everything else about the ending works. I just feel like in the context of the way you've built up your main enemy of the story, it just feels like... (laughs) That's what it feels like. So, what do you rank this on your New Year's Eve, on your New Year's Day even special chart? On this New Year's Day special, I'm going to give the Abominable Swimmen a four. Oh. It just doesn't keep you interested there are some things that are all right about this the great intelligence is cool um victoria gets stuff to do jamie and the doctor are kind of fun together still Troughton's always nice to be around particularly at this point before it got really grating but uh, it, it is the thing we keep on coming back to six parts is too long for a story that isn't packed full of stuff and this is not packed at all there are four parts with more stuff yeah, it, they fit in the time. It is straight up the curse of the four part of the six parters. Six parter, yeah. Like, so yeah, four for me. What about you? Potentially going to say five, just because I I enjoyed the mystery element and you didn't. Mm, yeah, I, I thought my four was being quite nice, so I think a five is really nice. Yeah. Right, that is the end of our first episode of twenty twenty three, and then. 
in a year, which I promise our upload schedule will be slightly better than for the year, which has just been. That, that's, slightly is the operative word there. That is my New Year's resolution for us to not miss as many episodes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how we stick to it. Yeah. Right. So thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed. If you want to get in contact with us to tell us what your thoughts are about these episodes or your Doctor Who related res- New Year's resolutions, feel free to tweet us, if Twitter still exists, um, at, Black Archive, <laughs> at Black Archive Pod. Or if Twitter doesn't exist, you can always email us, blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Please get whatever thoughts you may have in there, depending on whether or whether not that bird app is continuing. Uh, And if you want to do something a lot more simple, a lot more easy, and one that doesn't require you typing much in anything, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this, whatever audio platform of choice that you use. And give us a review, even if you've got five seconds. Takes no time at all. Helps us out a ton. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Happy New Year.